The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A mystery in Florida may go deeper than we think. And then we travel to a quaint little house in Bracknell, England. When some people showed up to do repairs and no one answered the door, they feared the worst. What they ended up finding inside was straight up weird. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys have a really fun week. As you can see, for Fan Art Friday this week, I've chosen to put a meme, the very first Dead Rabbit Radio meme ever made. It was made by Trapper Jamboree, and they posted it on the Dead Rabbit Radio subreddit. In case you can't read it, in case you're driving or trying to sleep, it's a picture from Insidious of that demon poking its head out from behind that dude, and it says... When you're listening to Jason Carpenter, try to pronounce your name, and he accidentally summons an ancient demon. So thank you so much, Trapper Jamboree. Gotta say, I never thought I'd be memed in any way, shape, or form. So that's awesome. Really, really appreciate it. Let's also give a shout-out to our newest Patreon supporter, Hoshi! Everyone give a round of applause for Hoshi running in, doing somersaults and stuff like that. It's wrestling me. Dude, dude. Hoshi's going to be our captain, our pilot of this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Hoshi, I'm going to look over at you. I toss you the keys of the Jason Jalopy. We are headed out to the Conspiracy Theory Iceberg. And along the way, we're going to stop at Brevard County, Florida. Hoshi's going to drive us on out to Florida. It's a cool road trip. We're listening to a bunch of hit songs, Britney Spears. And... Just having fun, taking photos of ourselves in the Grand Canyon and Mount Rushmore, even though those are, like, totally out of the way. We eventually get to Florida. We're in Brevard County, Florida. I want to give a shout-out to that weirdo on Twitter, a.k.a. Jack, for putting together the conspiracy theory list. Um, he sent me the link so I could share it with you, but I lost the link. So if you're listening to this, Jack, if you can send me that link again, I can start putting it in the show notes. But I go through the list every once in a while. It makes it so much easier to compile. I always want to give a shout-out to Jack when I am able to pull something off of this, because we're in Conspiracy Iceberg County right now. The year is 1982, and we're walking around Brevard County. We're dressed up as construction workers. We got on our little hard hats. We're dressed up like village people construction workers. So we just have like a denim jacket, no sleeves. We're not getting any work done. We're just posing. There actually is a whole work crew there, so we can continue to pose. They're moving like machines and stuff, driving. They're not actually pushing them, driving machines. Giant bulldozers. And then there's like a, a crane, I guess. There's a crane there. Tling, 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 tling. That's the chain uh, jangling. And then there's a backhoe. And it's like a, I actually don't know what a backhoe is, but I think it's the one with the claw, right? So there's this guy working the levers and he's doing all this stuff. And then the, the giant claw thing is like, he's hoping to get a stuffed animal. He's like, oh man. He's accidentally picking up construction workers instead. He's like, I don't want you. The, the big claw thing, he's going into the mud. Um, oh, they're, I guess I should have said, they're currently at like this kind of wetland, kind of a bog. 
They're going to build a structure over it. So they're not just fooling around. It isn't just like, hey, what are you doing today? Oh, we're going to take the backhoe out, destroy environments. The backhoe's coming in, goes into the mud, and the dude pulls it up. And he looks, and he's like, oh, wait. And inside this bucket full of mud and sticks and reeds and stuff like that are a couple human skulls. He's like, okay. First, he's like, uh, he's looking for his construction workers. He's counting their heads. He's like, okay, I worked with 10 people. I see 10 heads. I didn't kill these guys. Secondly, hey, boss, come look at this. Check out these skulls I found. So, of course, they shut down the worksite. Cops come in. They investigate it, and they're looking at the skulls, and they go, these skulls don't look fresh. Actually, to be fair, I don't think, I don't think the police made that determination. One of them was like, oh, I majored in paleontology. The police investigate it, and they go, well, these aren't... At some point in the investigation, they find out these aren't fresh. So then a bunch of, like, anthropologist dudes show up, and they're, like, looking around, poking it with tweezers. And they realize that these skulls are actually between eight to 9,000 years old. Mm-hmm. Pique your interest there? Or Pete your interest? Because <laughs> isn't Pete something in a bog? Isn't it, like, moss or something? Anyways... Through their investigation, they end up uncovering 168 nearly perfectly preserved bodies in this bog. Now, there's a little asterisk, and and even by saying nearly preserved, you have the bog people of Europe, where they would bury people by throwing them in the bog, or kill them by throwing them in the bog, or people are just taking a nap, they're like, no, Larry, you're napping on the bog, he's all blah, blah, blah. They're constantly finding bodies in bogs over in Europe. And those guys will have, like, eyebrows and all their clothes on and stuff like that. They're waking up, whoa. Um, They don't. (laughs) They've been dead for thousands of years or hundreds of years, depending on the bog. But they're really well-preserved. These guys, they aren't super well-preserved. They don't have all their flesh, but they do. They were able to pull brain matter out of some of these guys. They found the skeletons almost intact. And that was an unusual thing. When they were talking about how well-preserved they were, You'd have brain tissue in some of them, but the skeletons would look like someone just got all their skin melted off and just fell down, like Mars Attacks or something like that. And that's normally not the case. There's, like, weren't a bunch of scavengers. The way they had these bodies pinned down, they had, like, sticks making a triangle so the body couldn't rise above the triangle. And the thing was, was that it got to the, the, I guess the soil wasn't any good to dig in. I guess that was just the easiest way to drop bodies in the bog instead of digging holes everywhere. Scientists were able to determine there were some families that used this bog for multiple generations. So they're starting to piece this story together. They go, they're most likely Native Americans. And some of the stories that you'll read about this, they try to spin it like, oh, their DNA was very, very rare. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's very, very rare compared to the rest of the world, but it's like 20% of Native Americans have this DNA. So, I mean, I guess it sounds like I'm trying to flex on Native American DNA. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is some of the stories try to spin it off, that it's a little more like Atlantean or Vikings or something like that. That's just not the case. Like, pretty common among indigenous people in America. But you had, so they go, okay, we have this tribe. We don't know who it is. We have no idea who these people were. Their cultures completely died out. There's no one we can ask about this. But we're going to have to assume they settled in this area for a long time because multiple generations of one family doing DNA testing, we can show that people were here long enough to bury their grandmas, their mas, their, uh, what's the next thing, kids, grandkids. You know what I mean? Not at all at the same time, but like the kids are burying their parents 
and then their kids are burying them. And you know, you know how death, you know how death works and generations work. But then you started to notice some really interesting things. One, not a lot of them died of uh, violence. There weren't a lot of cracked skulls. There were a couple. But a lot of the people were dying of natural causes. They found one woman, her stomach was intact, and so was the food inside of it. So they were able to cut her stomach open. They're like, hmm, I wonder what they ate back then. They're all eating out of the stomach. They cut the stomach open. They found her last meal. They found, like, berries and stuff like that. Nightshade might have been what killed her. But they found all these berries and stuff like that, and the scientists were saying... It looks like she was sick with something and she was trying to cure herself with native medicine and it didn't work. But, you know, <laughs> nothing venture, nothing gain, right? You might not want to add nightshade to your medicine next time. Another interesting thing they found was they found a skeleton with spinal bifida. And that's where your spine kind of fuses together, your vertebrae. It's bad. The first time I ever heard about it was on Shallow Howl. That dude was walking around and he had spinal bifida. He, I guess the actor has spinal bifida in real life. But it was supposed to be a contrast to shallow how and how shallow he was. And then you had spinal bifida boy. Who I don't remember his name. But he was like this super cool guy. And he was like a millionaire. And he had all these awesome friends and stuff like that. And the point was he didn't care about anything. It wasn't He wasn't an anarchist. But he didn't let his limitations throttle his... I thought it was a really cool character. And again, I'm watching, I was like, whoa, what's that? And someone's like, oh, that guy has spinal bifida. But yeah, he's like, oh, I don't care. Like, I'm going to go out and be successful. And in real life, he's an actor. So there's that. I mean, like, he's definitely not letting it get in his way. But here we have, back to reality, back away from a romantic comedy, back to reality. They found a skeleton of a boy who had spinal bifida. It's a genetic disease. People can get it. All different cultures, all different time periods in world history. But this boy was 15 years old. And the scientists were like, this is really weird. Because from what we know of most indigenous cultures, if you have such a crippling illness, sorry, bro. Like, if it's a gatherer culture, 9,000 years ago, I mean, people are still just picking berries. And they're like, hmm, I see that wheat growing over there. Can I make that wheat grow over here? And they're like, leave that question to the shamans. Like, I don't even think they're really doing agriculture in most parts of the world at this point. But you know what I mean? Normally, indigenous cultures will say, hey, tough luck, dude. Sorry. And uh, you're not even going to make it past one years old. But this dude was 15. Uh, they have found another uh, skeleton that had a foot missing that they could tell was removed long before the, they died. This was all healed up. And they go, that's another weird indicator. Because normally, if you suffered a grievous injury like that, they're like, pfft. You saw what we did to the guy with spinal bifida, man. Like, you know, that's just the way things go. So this tribe seemed to have a really caring community. And nobody knows who they are. Nobody will ever really know who they are. They existed in Brevard County, Florida. They stopped uh, building building the shopping mall, by the way. Now it's a protected area. But that is on the conspiracy theory iceberg. And you go, Jason, that's an interesting story. A lost tribe of people. It's not interesting in the sense that they have a genetic code that's never been seen before on the planet Earth, or da-da-da-da-da. But it's interesting for another reason that almost seems glossed over. I actually read three articles on this, and it wasn't until I got to the third one that I saw any hints of this. And I think this is why it's on the conspiracy theory iceberg. Again, that story is interesting in and of itself. But is a conspiracy iceberg interesting? Listen to this. They're digging up the bog. 
Scientists are going through, taking their little brushes, cleaning off skulls, cataloging everything. Uh, some of the bodies were buried with toys. So I'm sure they were like throwing footballs around. They're like, come on, man. It's a 9,000-year-old football. Give me a chance. And the, the supervisor grabs it and he's running away with it. Yet all this stuff going on, This the bodies were discovered in 1982. They only dug up half of the site. They dug up 168 bodies and quit. 100% just said, we're done digging this site up. So it's a protected area. And they know there's more bodies in there. So why did they stop digging this site up? The official answer is they said, here's the thing. This is an amazing find, but we're limited to the DNA technology we have in 1983, 1984. We are going to preserve half of this site. We're not going to let anyone into it. We're going to get our two beefiest scientists to stand outside day and night. Nobody can dig in this second patch of mud where we know there's more bodies at for 50 or maybe 100 years. Scientists kind of packed everything up and went home. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, why 50 to 100 years? And they go, DNA technology, like we were explaining before, before you made the joke about the scientists, DNA technology isn't that advanced. But in 50 to 100 years, I mean, who knows? You could be able to maybe clone these people. He <laughs> didn't say that. He's not, a, he's not a science fiction author. But he goes, you, the advances in DNA technology, you'll be able to do so much more. So we don't want to dig these bodies up anymore. Good day, sir. And they left. So that's the official answer. Here's my conspiracy iceberg answer. Let's put on our conspiracy caps for a second. It's 19. They find the bodies in 1982. They're digging them up 1983, 1984. They exhume half of the bog, and then they find something else. Something that puzzles the scientists. Something that rattles the scientists. They're looking at it. They cannot place what they're looking at. In history, the scientists get together and they go, you know what? The world's not ready for this. We can't exhume any more of these bodies. Well, what excuse will you give them, boss? Well, we'll make up something about DNA and no one will touch the other half of the bog for 50 or 100 years. Maybe then the world will be ready for what's lying in the bog of Brevard County. That was a weird story. And like I said, I had to read three articles and it was just an offhand comment at the end. They go, yeah, they just stopped. Half of it's still there. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, they're... I was like, that's... That is interesting. Why would you stop? That'd be like someone finding a triceratops and they dust off two of the horns and they're like, okay, I'm sure there's another horn in there, but you know, I'm sure a scientist 50 years from now. Since when have scientists wanted to share stuff? Too, they're always wanting to get those Nobel Prizes and all that $500,000 of geek money. Hoshi, call in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to Bracknell, England. And as we're flying out to Bracknell, we notice Hoshi is not really looking where he's going. He's just kind of moving his head all along. The helicopter, he's able to keep it steady, but he's looking all along. We're like, Hoshi, what's going on? And he turns, and he's wearing lead sunglasses. And our first thought is, should we? Does he know something we don't know? Should we have those? But then... We quickly realized he's making a joke. Take him off, dude, so you can actually see where you're going. He's making a joke about the lead mask case. Now, I'm going to go over this real quick, because I think a lot of you guys know it. It's a very, very famous, weird mystery. Back in uh, August 20th, 1966 in Brazil, two men are found dead. They're wearing formal wear, 
And they were wearing lead masks. It's funny. I always thought they were wearing like the man in the iron mask, like full on giant helmet. No, apparently they just had metal sunglasses on and they're both dead. They're just laying there. Some kids found them. They're flying kites or something like that. That's going to ruin your day. The kids, <laughs> the kids keep flying their kite. They're like, oh, the wind's so good this day. Those bodies aren't going anywhere. After a couple hours, when they get the cops, the cops find the bodies and they find a note lying between them. And it says 1630, meaning time. 16.30, be at the specific location. 18.30, ingest capsules. After the effect, protect metals await signal mask. So, whatever that means. I mean, I guess you can kind of put it together. It's also possible that I copy-pasted it wrong. But, but you guys get the point, whether or not I copy-pasted it wrong. We don't know how they died. What happened was they were taken to the corner, and the corner was like, this is not a joke. The corner was super busy that week. So we didn't get around to figuring out why these two people dressed in formal wear wearing lead sunglasses mysteriously died. And by the time he was like, oh yeah, I forgot. I gotta go do that thing. I gotta go solve that mystery. I gotta go do my job. The organs were decayed so much they couldn't figure it out. The main like believable theory is they poisoned themselves, but why? And then you have questions of, was this some sort of cult activity? Were they tricked into killing themselves? Were they a part of some UFO cult? A lot of those stories get pulled up. From time to time, there was a friend of the dudes who said that they were scientific spiritualists. They believed by ingesting a massive amount of drugs, they could pierce the veil, they could see the other side. The idea was that the image was going to be so blinding that they had to wear lead sunglasses. Kind of defeats the purpose to summon an ancient being and you can't see it. It's just some little wimpy ghost. He's like, yeah, I got eight arms and if you look at me, you'll turn to dust. Now... Who's down for pancakes? <laughs> what? Should I take my mask off and see if this isn't like an imp? No, 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 dude. He said we turned to dust. <laughs> More pancakes for me. Anyways, normally wouldn't tell it on Dead Rabbit Radio. You guys have all heard that story. But what I found, with the help of a few others, is a story even more bizarre. How she landed this carpenter copter, we're in Bracknell, England. I gotta give a shout out to two Reddit users, Keep It Cosmic and Swan Ronson 2018. I have never heard of this story before. Both of them were posting it online, and it's crazy. Keep that lead mask story in mind, because we're gonna kinda go down the same path. So, Hoshi, go ahead and land us here at this little house in Bracknell, England. It's January 15th, 2020. This just happened. This mystery is just beginning. These workers need to do some repairs at this house. Oi, mate, let us in. We got to repair some stuff. No answer. No answer. So eventually they go out and they get the landlord. The landlord is the one who sent them there to do the repairs in the first place. So I'm imagining this house looks pretty shabby from the outside. And so landlord comes down, actually brings the police with them. The, the people living at this house weren't in the best of health. You had June Corfield, she was 80 years old, and then Stephen Corfield, her 60-year-old son who had been blind his entire life. So when someone's not answering the door, just in general, you figure they're not home or they're taking a nap. But when they're super old, you, you got, you're going to bring the cops with you, right? They bring in a locksmith as well. It's a whole party down here. It's a block party at this point. Open the door and the first thing they see is kind of what everyone expected. Two bodies. It's unfortunate, but, you know, that's kind of what they thought. They're both sitting in two separate chairs, mother and son facing each other. Stephen is wearing a shirt, shoes, and socks, 
and his pants are down around his ankles. Not, I mean, fine, you can dress like that. You might not want to dress like that in front of your mom, especially in front of your dead mom, but he's dressed like that, and the cops, as they're processing the crime scene, they find in Stephen's pocket, they found a 1,000 pounds in his pocket. So <laughs> the cop's like, hey, look, I found 900 pounds in his pocket. June, the mother, she didn't have any pants on. I mean, at least, at least Stephen had the the politeness to wear them around his ankles, even though they don't do any job. She has no pants on whatsoever. All she has on is a shirt and one sock. And these two bodies are just sitting across from each other. And the, and the cops are looking at each other and they're realizing very quickly they're in a really, really spooky house. There was two bedrooms in the house, as you would expect. A mother and a son have two bedrooms, but only one bed. And it was a double the cops are like, you can process this room. No, 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 you process you process it. Locking him inside until he gets all the evidence. So you have to assume the mother and the son were at the very, <laughs> the very least sleeping in the same bed. The fact that they were partially clothed makes you think other things. But that's not even the weirdest part of this story. The other bedroom had a refrigerator in it. Oh, it's like a man cave. Keep a couple Budweiser's in there. It was unplugged. The refrigerator was moved out of the kitchen and put in the quote-unquote spare bedroom. They could have used it. They could have had two beds. Also in that room were three unplugged television sets just sitting there. As the police are moving through this house, they realize there's no light. And not in the sense that someone's flicking the switch and there's no electricity. Every single light bulb had been removed from its socket. And every single device in the house that could be plugged in was unplugged. Someone had even gone so far to shut off the fuse box. Even though the house had access to electricity, it was completely cut off from the grid. They had no heater, nothing to cook with. They had no toilet paper anywhere in the house. Just two bodies, a bunch of electronics kind of scattered around the house, all unplugged, every single light bulb missing from the socket. The police are trying to figure stuff out, and and the first thing they think of is murder-suicide. One of them must have killed the other one and then killed themselves. They start doing autopsies and everything like that. It looks like she died of pneumonia and coronary heart disease. There is no clue as to why Stephen died. None. They said when they were doing the autopsy, they found a small tumor in his head, but the coroner goes, this is not what killed him. Like, yeah, he wasn't going to have a fun next couple years, but this is not what killed him. We have no idea how he died. They found a newspaper in the living room that was dated December 19th or sometime in December, so they believe that people were still alive at that time. But they were never even able to accurately tell how long those bodies had been dead. The theory they started to develop was he was blind, he needed his mom for everything, and his mom died, so he just kind of just kind of sat there until he died. That's really the theory they're going with now. I also find the fact that even if someone had been, especially someone who's been blind since birth, that they're that disabled, that's a little insulting. I actually have a friend who's um, blind. She's legally blind. She's not completely blind, but she can't drive a car, and she needs a tick, 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 little a little stick. She, she has one of those, so she can take care of herself. She lifts weights. I would find it odd to think someone who is six years old and been blind the whole time 
just sit there and die and be like, well, I guess my mom's dead. I'm just going to sit here until I start smelling like her. Like, I find that kind of insulting. He could have, at the very least, known where the door is and walked out and just been like, hey, guys, help me. Um, I don't know how far they might have lived in the middle of the forest, but still, then a bunch of cartoon foxes show up and they knit you a sweater and then they lead you to help. find that a little insulting that he could just not see so much that he died. I mean, that's basically what they're saying. There's two big puzzling elements on top of everything else with all of these light bulbs being removed. In the kitchen, they found 10 cartons of long-life milk, which I didn't even know existed. It actually can last for six months. There's a different way to pasteurize it. It's milk with a shelf life of six months. They found 10 cartons of long-life milk and 10 chocolate cakes sitting in the kitchen. So they didn't starve to death. And that's such a bizarre number to have, too. That's a little excessive, right? I mean, I wish I had 10 chocolate cakes. But it's just weird. I mean, if you had two or three, how many chocolate cakes do you have at your house? How many chocolate cakes have you had at your house at any given time? Now, I don't think they were, like, made from Cake Boss. I don't think they were actually giant, like, Duncan Hines cakes. But still, I don't also think they were cupcakes. (laughs) Somewhere in between a cupcake and a wedding cake, that's what they had 10 of. So that's kind of a weird detail. And then you have this. Going back to the lead mask case. These two bodies are sitting in this house with ten chocolate cakes. Cops like, I found nine chocolate cakes, Captain. You got all these chocolate cakes. You got all this milk. You got everything unplugged. You have all the light bulbs removed. You have the circuit breaker thrown. And in between these two bodies is a note. One of the investigators said it wasn't written like a, a note, like a suicide note or anything like that. It was a almost like a list. They wrote a bunch of stuff out, crossed some of it out. And the things they made out was... Digital Radio Bush. I'm like, what? I'm going to save that for my band name later. And they had a phrase that said China Dab. Now, the police believe that that part of the message related to in between both of these corpses, they each had a Bush Dab radio. Each of them also had a bottle of water at their feet. Hers was empty. Steven still had a little bit of liquid in it, which they tested. It wasn't a toxin. So they think the phrase digital radio bush and China dab is in relation to that. These are just FM radios. They're not any sort of communication device. They are, but they're just one-way communication devices. But could it have been a shopping list saying, hey, let's go get these things. Let's go buy these two radios. But also on the list was this. Check water, check electric, and put memo at the top of stairs. Do not come in. Why would you put a note at the top of the stairs saying, do not come in. By that point, you're already in the house. Is it possible that they wanted to die? This is gross, but is it possible they wanted to die in bed together and just let their bodies slowly rot away and like flies and worms and stuff are showing up? And they didn't want anyone to bug the bodies, possibly. It's just another layer of the puzzle. What does that note mean? We can understand when people say, check water, check electric. Maybe they're going to go on a trip. You want to have that stuff shut off so, you know, a bunch of burglars don't break in and turn on all your water faucets. It's possible that they had planned to die and they figured if we shut off the water and we shut off the electric, a lot of times bodies are found because unpaid bills. Your electric's going on for a while. People show up at your house. They show up with the big old buff scientists from the last story. They're like, oh, yeah, we've got our new job beating up old people for electric money. You would think that the note do not come in would be outside the house, though. 
Just let us rot in peace. R.I.P. But let's put on our conspiracy caps here for a second. You could also say this is a list of some sort of ritual, which we've covered a couple times on this show. Preparation for something. Even if they were planning on dying peacefully in bed, why would they go through the trouble of unplugging and moving the fridge? Removing all the electronics, carrying the TVs. Now that I think about it, how does an 80-year-old woman and a blind guy (laughs) carry three television sets in a fridge? How does that, how does that work? Now that's that's even more puzzling. I'm not saying blind people can't carry television sets. Even if he's not blind, even a six-year-old man's going to have a hard time moving a fridge. This is my take on it. This is my conspiracy cap take on it. They were doing some sort of ritual. They were trying to invoke something. And to do this ritual, they needed to fulfill a couple things, which isn't unheard of in rituals. You have no electricity in your area because that can interfere with the spirits. Water, running water can interfere with spirits. Maybe they were so desperate to find some way out of their current situation that they turned to the dark arts. And in the course of trying to touch just a piece of this wicked force in the world, a mother and her son did the unthinkable. That was part of the ritual. They were making that list to prepare that ritual, and the final rule of it was... Do not enter the upstairs. That will be the domain of what you have summoned. But it went wrong. It went terribly wrong. And a demonic attack won't show up on any sort of medical results. As she was sitting there being attacked by this creature that they attempted to control, it took her life. But to a coroner, it looked like natural causes. And the son sat there alone in this house. He could have gotten up. He could have gotten help. But every time he tried to move, something held him in that chair. He was forced to sit there until he died. By the time the police showed up, it's just two bodies slowly decaying in a house. There'd be no proof of any of this. (laughs) This story that I just made up, there'd be no proof of any of that. They would just come in and see this and try to analyze the crime scene as best as they could. A house full of nothing. A house that was devoid of almost any proof anyone had ever lived there. A house with no toilet paper in it. But ten cartons of milk and ten chocolate cakes. And it may be one of those mysteries that you shouldn't investigate. One of those mysteries you shouldn't want to solve. It may take you down roads that lead you to dark thoughts and dark actions. If you let this story infest in your brain, you may be wondering day and night, what could have happened to them until the point that you are so obsessed with this case, you want to find the ritual they may have performed. It's a lot of fun being a paranormal investigator, but when you find yourself furiously unscrewing light bulbs and scribbling a note at 4 a.m. before patiently sitting in a chair, it stops being fun. You've gone from being a paranormal investigator to just another story that we'll cover on Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.